This is out of bounds. This is out of bounds. Monday, May 22nd. Coming to your ears, your eyes, wherever you may be watching on the Know Your News Network. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. You're home for the weird, wacky, and wild in sports. This is Out of Bounds. Mia, what's going on this week? Busy um, OTAs at it, I see. Yes, OTAs. Uh, I think we have officially, beyond entering the off-season program in the NFL, John, we have entered two-shower season. Uh, do not be fooled by the long sleeve. Uh, go Bombers, by the way, that I just put on. Um but yes, uh, you know, you, you got to love, you get your sweat in. In my, in my personal, this is how I attack training camp in the offseason. You wake up early, you get a good sweat in at the gym, and you go home and you shower. Why would you do that when you're about to go out to training camp or OTAs and sweat even more, you ask? Well, you bring your body temperature down. Then you're out there, your energy levels up because you're already working out. So your energy levels and your endorphins are also up. So you power through the day and then you sweat some more. And then by the time you're ready to go to bed, you're like, I'm sweaty again. I'm going to shower again. See, the difference between us is that you mentioned going to the gym and that's where this conversation ends. So I'm not quite sure how to relate to that. It wakes you up in the morning. Like, that's how I view it. Sure. Good for you. Good for you. I'm, I'm genuinely commending you. You're better than I am. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You know what I did yesterday? I smoked on my grill over there. I smoked the most beautiful rack of ribs with the most perfect smoke ring you're ever going to see. And guess what I didn't do this morning? I didn't work out, okay? That stuff is sitting in my body because I'm a man who likes his barbecue. So I shouldn't be telling you about how I'm like attempting to cleanse during the week again. You're always attempting to cleanse. I feel I know, like. and now because then on the weekends I just eat whatever I want, and then I then I get to Monday and I weigh in, and I'm like, "What the heck, man? This just is not where I wanted in. to be." That's the problem. You're weighing in. Just don't weigh in. You're never going to know your way. It's like when they were but like, "There is uh, a thing called bathing suit season, John, and it is here. The reality, the harsh reality, is upon us. We're and all of us have been care. blessed with your metabolism." I don't care. Wear whatever you want. Bikini, tankini, one piece, whatever. Wear whatever you want me, O'Brien. I got to compete with all these Floridians, man, who are all, you know, they're all working out all the time. And I'm like, I, I don't look like that. I need to at least try. So. Well, we have a fun episode of Out of Bounds to give you your mental workout today at the very least. Uh, but before we do that, as we do every week, we have our toast. I don't know if you're joining me in a libation because you're trying to. Uh, so I do, I do have co- I have the last. So this is a true story. Um, I remember when John Rom got the stomach bug, mm-hmm. had to withdraw from the players. Yep. Remember when I gave John Rom yes. stomach bug? Uh, so we had bought a ton of Coca-Cola and ginger ale because, oh, my God, Mia's dying. Need it. Uh-huh. And then I was better within three days after I started taking Pepto. So I've had a couple uh, liter bottles sitting around the house. And since uh-huh. the cleanse is real, this is the last of the Coca-Cola in my fridge. Okay. Well, let me get a little ASMR real quick here. There it Back is. In the step. There it is. Now, listen, this, this goes out to our opening topic. Uh, a fantastic career in the books. An opening toast to the one and only Carmelo Anthony, who wraps up his career here. Cheers to Mello. Stay mm-hmm. mellow. Mm-hmm. 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 If you're feeling good, 
want to leave us a comment, kynchat.com. That's your place to do it. Or if you're just watching on YouTube, hit us in the chat. We'll read your comment out on air because we are talking about Carmelo Anthony to start things off on Out of Bounds this week. Carmelo Anthony officially announcing his retirement after 19 NBA seasons, Mia O'Brien. I got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. Number one, where does he sit all time for you as far as players from his generation? And number two, are we officially old? Because damn it, this year as hell makes me feel real old that Carmelo is hanging the sneakers up for good. My bigger question for you, John Alba, is how will Carmelo Anthony be remembered? Will he simply be remembered as a member of the Banana Boat crew? Is he simply the fourth in that foursome of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, that quite frankly was so quintessential to our childhoods, our formative years, or will he be remembered for the numbers that make him a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked? I mean, look at this. Ten-time All-Star, ninth all-time leading scorer in NBA history. 2012-2013's NBA scoring leader, three-time Olympic gold medalist, and of course, a national champion at Syracuse University, the other school in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. You read that resume, and you don't have Carmelo and the variety of teams he's played for and his various jerseys and the banana boat picture, and you look and you say, that guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And that's what I feel like is kind of sad is, Mello, towards the second half of his career, was more of a meme than he was regarded as one of the best players of our time. And I go back to our childhood when he was revered in the early years of his career. Yeah, and I it's upsetting. I don't know if I look at Carmelo as a meme, per se. I People actually feel like he, at... hang, he hung on too long. But you see, I think what Carmelo Anthony did is actually the blueprint for longevity in the NBA. He, he took a book from the page of Vince Carter who realized, okay, I hit this threshold. I'm not going to be as productive of a player as I once was. And as a result, I'm going to adjust. And that's why Vince Carter was able to play for so long because he was able to adjust and he was able to reinvent himself. Carmelo Anthony, on the other hand, at first when the whole the departure from the Knicks happened. He was kind of bouncing around and like, ah, this guy's just not the same player. It it took him about a year to acknowledge, okay, I'm not the same Carmelo Anthony that I used to be, but then the man readjusted. Then the man saw, okay, if I accept that I'm a bench player, I'm going to have a chance to play for a championship. I'm going to have a chance to extend my career if I want to. And that's exactly Uh, what Carmelo Anthony was able to do towards the back end of his career and become a contributor. And I think that's what a lot of players should aim to do. This is still a guy who in the last few years of his career averaged over 13 points per game. And that was in a role where he was only coming off the bench. I'm, I'm looking at his stat line now. He only started three games the last two seasons of his career, respectively. So when you acknowledge, okay, I'm going to adjust, I'm going to adapt, I'm going to become a contributor, that, I think, is commendable, and that's why we should remember Carmelo truly as an all-time great. I also think we need to remember him more for how the tenure at the Garden began and not the way it ended, because I feel like so many – they they liken Carmelo Anthony and his time with the Knicks to the Knicks being a bad team. That had nothing to do with Carmelo Anthony. The fact that they were mired in mediocrity for so long or stretches of, could they? Oh, wait, no, never mind. 
I mean, so, he, he, I, I, he won a sports title with them. He brought them back to the playoffs, and those Knicks teams were pretty damn good for a period of time with him. He, he is, but they weren't like this current Knicks iteration that people believe could compete for an Eastern Conference champion. Oh, I totally disagree. I think there was really? that one. There was that one year. Lynn Sanity. Well, uh, I was it, earlier, and that's well, the Nets. I know. Well, no, no, it was the Knicks. It was when Jeremy Lynn was with the Knicks, but it was, I mean. In 2011, 2012, they were a playoff team. Uh, I want to say it was the 20. I'm, I'm fact checking here, so I don't give off any bad information here. But it was the 2013, 2014 team. I want to say that ended up. Uh, no, no, it was the year prior to that. The, the 2012, year he won the scoring 20, title. It was the 2012, 2013 team. Uh, they they won the Atlantic Division 54 and 28. They were a competitor for an NBA championship and they ran into a difficult Celtics team. They they were they were really good and, and Carmelo lit up the garden. I think this guy is an all-time great scorer. He was prolific as a scorer. It's amazing that he was the number three overall pick in 2003 and Darko Milicic went ahead of him. That will always stand out to me. But what's more apparent, Mia, is this is a guy who was given the moniker as one of the chosen ones coming out of college. He led Syracuse, which is Penn State North, to a national championship, and they ended up winning, and he became a guy that actually carried the NBA and helped generate the NBA as this superstar-driven league. And yeah, we are old. I so distinctly remember that national championship game that Syracuse won with him. I remember him being drafted. remember him being drafted, those fantastic larger than life suits all those people in the 2000s. I just think we really should have made the title of this episode of out of bounds. Farewell, Carmel, Carmelo, Anthony King of Penn, of Penn state North. <laughs> you like that, that would have been. Yeah. No, I met I, Jim Beheim a few weeks ago. Fun facts at yeah, uh, Coughlin's golf outing. That was weird. Mm. No, I just, I think that Carmelo goes down as genuinely one of the all time great scores. It's a shame. He never won an NBA championship. He was on several teams with the nuggets and with the Knicks that, I felt could have competed for them. But uh, ultimately, I don't hold that against him in any way. He is an all-time great player. I'd love to know your guys' thoughts out there. Leave a super chat for us. That's how we'll read your comment on air because I really would love to hear your thoughts on Carmel because he is a little polarizing. Like Mia said, like I, some people clowned him and memed him. I think he's a success story at the end of the day. We won't talk about his former team. Or his other former team, the Denver Nuggets or the New York Knicks. Or excuse me, the Denver Nuggets and New York. Denver Nuggets or the LA Lakers. No, instead, let's talk about the Eastern Conference Finals. Because I think that Nuggets series is a wrap. This one very much could be as well, John Alba. The Celtics whipped by the Heat, 128-102 in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Already down 0-2 and now staring down the barrel of a 3-0 deficit with one more game still to play in South FLA. Everyone is clowning their performance, including Shaq on Inside the NBA. He said he Shaq was asked if they could quit since the Celtics did shooting 38 of 98 from the field and getting a combined 26 points out of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, to which he said, yes, John, were the Celtics that bad or is it time that we give justice to Jimmy Butler? I think this is a combination, truthfully, in this equation. First off, uh, the Celtics do not look like they're competing. They have a head coach, Joe Mazzola, who did a good job this year, and he inherited a talented team. But And a tough situation. Uh, and a tough situation, but uh, in this 
series, he's been non-existent. He's been absolutely non-existent in this series. And this comes after us praising the Celtics last week and Jason Tatum and everything for what they were able to accomplish in that game seven with the Sixers. But I, I think the Celtics have fallen asleep at the wheel here, and you just you can't do that. Uh, you, you have superstar players in Tatum and Jalen Brown. These guys are supposed to show up in situations like this. But I do think that we have to circle back to a point that we discussed last week too. Put some respect on Eric Spolstra's name. This is a guy who is a prolific head coach. He is. He's one of the best coaches in NBA history. And we can cement that now, regardless of what happens the rest of this series. He is. They're probably going to the NBA Finals. Uh, he is a fantastic schemer. He's a great play caller. He's. This is a guy who started as a video coordinator for this team back in 1997. He's embedded Shot by LeBron once upon a time, and he wanted him ousted after one year. Right. He's he's embedded in the culture of the franchise. And yeah, Jimmy Butler, after taking so much flack over the years, has emerged as the guy. And I think we need to give them some respect while also acknowledging that the Celtics laid an egg. I'm really glad you brought up Eric Spolstra because I brought that up on my day show on XL Primetime on 1010XL earlier today. Um, and we had a really great argument about it because I drove into work this morning and I was... I couldn't help but say I don't want to put Eric Spolstra in the category of his predecessor, Pat Riley. But everyone else at the table said, you probably should. He's been to seven of the last 13 Eastern Conference Finals. But so that's where then, that's where then I said, okay, even if we're weary because of the titles Mm. and the NBA championships and the awards and everything else that Pat Riley accrued during his coaching career and executive career or uh, front office career, where do we rank Eric Spolster? Do we put him in the Popovich category, to which there was also pushback of Pop had titles? But then my producer pointed out, yeah, Pop got titles, but Pop had stars. Outside of... Pop's the- got Wemby, by the way. We're going to talk. He's got another star coming. <laughs> exactly. And he's got another star coming. Outside of when he had the big three, when has Eric Spolstra had a bona fide top three star in the league? No, you're absolutely right. He has not. Whereas Greg Popovich has consistently had a top three to five star in the league to which I say this, like, yeah, I mean, Shaq was on his back end. Right. I understand that tight, you know, flags fly forever. Titles are forever. And it's great to have a great player, but if you don't win a championship, it doesn't matter. And Eric Spolstra has only won a championship when he has had stars like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade respect to that. I understand that, but you cannot deny this man is doing more with less. John, let me read for you. Some of the players on the Miami Heat that played very big roles in that 128-102 win. Duncan Robinson began his career in D3 basketball. Kayla Martin, one of the Martin twins, played in Nevada for the Must Bus. Gabe Vincent, no one knew who he was until about five minutes ago out of UC Santa Barbara. Not to mention Max Struess of DePaul, Victor Oladipo, and Kevin Love trying to be reclamation projects. You do not have Tyler Hero. Odonis Haslam is somehow still on this roster. I understand he went to Florida and that's a big school and he's whatever he's doing. The point is you look at the bag of riches up in Boston because I'm told that those two that went one of 14 combined from the three point line and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are supposed to be top 10, top 20 players in the league. And they got like, let's go back to the, the rest of that roster. They've got, their version of Udonis Haslam and Al Horford. 
They've got Marcus Smart. They've got a cast of characters from Malcolm Brogdon, who they traded for this offseason, to Robert Williams, who was a first-round pick, to Peyton Pritchard, also a late first-round pick. Listen, they have guys. They're not finding Duncan Robinson in summer league and uncovering his true potential that apparently, you know, Jim um, Bayline only could do so uh, so much at Michigan. Mm-hmm. John Bayline. I got I, my Jim listen, listen, I don't I don't – I don't disagree at all. I'm I'm in total agreement with you, in fact. And I think it's a damning indictment on the state of the Celtics right now. And I know people are going to be like, but last week you were so great. Listen, uh, the reality is you can get to a certain point, but if you don't get over that hump, and the Celtics have proven that even when they reach the finals, they're just not able to get over that hump. They haven't been over that hump since 2008. Uh, and, well, they don't and- get over the hump, John? You want to know what Jimmy Butler has? The Jason Tatum. I love him to death. Oh, yeah. He got that dog in him. Yes, killer instinct. <laughs> killer instinct. Okay, and listen, Jason Tatum put hey, up. Hey, 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 I'm seven. just saying. Oh, he has that dog. You have to go matchup hunting. No one on the Celtics goes matchup hunting. Jimmy Butler sizes up and says, "All right, I could take this guy on. Let's make some switches here defensively. I could, t- I could take this on." No one's making those adjustments on the floor for the Celtics. No one is no one is doing what LeBron does better than anyone else in the National that's, Basketball that's Association. That's a LeBron move if I've ever heard it. And Jimmy Butler isn't that far behind these days. It's that simple. I get you. I get you. Let's let's keep with the playoff atmosphere and pivot to the ice, though, Mia. This South Florida baby. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? Uh, every single game of the Stanley Cup Conference Finals have gone to overtime. Thursday's Panthers-Hurricanes game in the Eastern Conference going four overtimes in a Florida 3-2 win. This has been amazing. And again, it's involving four teams that I think everyone's like, "Eh, I don't know. At the core, though, Mia, are the Stanley Cup playoffs the best playoff format out there? I just can't believe, like, I'm scrolling back through right now. I I, I was like, wait, they really all have gone to overtime in this round? Every single game in this round between both the Eastern conference finals and the Western conference have gone to overtime. Well, in your estimation, John, what, what is it that makes the Stanley cup playoffs different? I think the NHL for whatever reason is just set up differently where it truly is that any team who makes the playoffs has a chance to win it all. Maybe it's because of how physical the season is and eventually things just catch up to you injury-wise or you get tired and that opens the door for people. Maybe it's that hockey is more than any other sport a game of one bounce can change everything where the the puck just skips up over a stick and all of a sudden your series is different, right? I think it's the combination of those things create this amazing anything can happen scenario that is just different than any other sport and perhaps also that you know the nba for as much as basketball is a team sport we know that the nba is dominated by superstar performance hockey can be the same way but i think it's just the fact that it is such a team sport hockey is such a team sport that truly superstar dominance is so hard to come by even on the biggest stage. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you know, that that's the bigger, the only difference for me is just that it is the ultimate team sport. Um, I think it's fascinating that the Florida Panthers literally wouldn't have gotten in to the big dance uh, 
a week earlier. I mean, they literally snuck in and uh, by the skin of their teeth. And the fact that they can make a run like this, Cinderella run, if you may, the only other place you could really see that is the NCAA tournament. I say that, and the Miami Heat are going to make the NBA Finals as an eight seed, John. And no one saw that coming. No, and I get that, but that's not a regularity in the NBA. No, no. It does happen, but it's not a regularity. In the Stanley Cup playoffs, every team is nervous the moment they get in there because anything can happen. Well, it's all about who's the hottest team. I mean, that's what I mean. As our baseball aficionado, what have you felt over the last few years in Major League Baseball's playoffs? That has it been the team that gets hot late? I mean, look at the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I mean, look at the, the Washington Braves, Nationals and the Phillies. But also last year, the Astros were the best team, and they won. So right, that's correct. And the Phillies were the hottest team of late. They caught lightning in a bottle, and you know it didn't pan out for them. But I look at the Braves the year before. I mean, they were barely at five hundred in July, and they turned it on in the second half of the season for certain. But uh, but they picked it up big time come October. And you could say the same for the Washington Nationals in twenty nineteen. I don't count the Mickey Mouse Los Angeles Dodgers of twenty twenty. So, you know, I enjoy when, you know, a a Cinderella story can occur, even if I'm sure there's some Canadians north of the border, including our bosses at Know Your News, that are a little upset that some of these teams that had tremendous regular seasons are not in the Stanley Cup Conference Finals. Yeah, I got got to call out Jimmy Van and uh, Know Your News. I'll tell you what. I posted an image from the Warner Brothers Discovery upfronts the other day where the TNT photo that was showcasing their programming was Connor McDavid. And I said, I, I think it's pretty telling that it wasn't an NBA player, given the perilous state potentially of NBA negotiations. It's like, well, you know, Connor McDavid is only the best player of his generation, blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's not the point. I know who Connor McDavid Why is. Why is he not in the, in the Stanley Cup final or uh, conference finals then? we've talked about on the show i'm just saying but people were like oh you don't know who Connor mcdavid is yeah i have no idea who Connor mcdavid is come on guys come on jimmy you know better than that i just i think the the uh stanley cup playoffs really do open themselves up to so much unpredictability and from a fan experience you don't have to be invested at all in these games and you turn it on and you are just like this the entire time it really is amazing sports theater and drama. Well, let, let me ask you this then, John. Let's go on to our next topic. Um, pretty much all the remaining series in the NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs are over. I mean, maybe not so much on the hockey side of things. 2-0 series leads. Those can evaporate. But 3-0 series leads in both the Eastern and the Western Conference Finals. Are you still going to watch? Are you still entertained? Does it take away from some of the excitement? I, I think it does take away a little bit, even though you have to relish like this guy, for example, LeBron. For all you know, Mia, you know LeBron's going to hey, go for it. For all we you know, poll question today on to, on primetime. Well, for all you know, this could be the last time you see LeBron in the playoffs. Yep, that's exactly what we made it. And I was shocked, John. We made it. Is this the last time we will see him in a conference final? And I think sixty six percent of our voters said yes. And that's possible. It's totally possible. I mean, depending on where he goes and when he ends up with the Orlando Magic, things can change. But I think that you have to take that into the equation when you're watching these. And I'm a big fan of recognizing greatness when it's in front of you. And right now in that Western Conference playoff, specifically, we are witnessing greatness, even in a 3-0 series. 
Jokic is going to go down as an all-time player in the NBA. I think that much is pretty clear now. I, I saw the narrative, uh, you can't give a guy three consecutive MVPs, can you? Well, guess what? Uh, the, the way that Nikola Jokic is playing, you could make the argument that, yeah. You There's could also people who would make the argument that LeBron should have won more MVPs, that sure. Mike Trout should win the MVP every year in baseball, and we've gotten bored with them because we're bored with greatness. And so maybe that's the same way it's going with Jokic as well. And maybe it is. And, you know, Jamal Murray is really playing a pivotal role in that series as well. Uh, it does stink. I'm not as interested in the Eastern Conference Finals at this juncture. I don't think the Celtics even stand a chance of making that competitive again, truthfully. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't. I think the Heat have game planned them out of this Do you this like series. the Heat? Do I like the heat? Yeah. Do you like, do you like, do you like the, you know, plucky word? The like, I'll phrase oh, it this I mean, way. They're gritty as hell. Like how could you right. not enjoy watching that style of basketball? They're gritty. So let me ask you this, because I would argue as much as the nuggets have the type of players that are elite shot makers and they play so well as one cohesive unit from what I've heard from my friends that work in Denver, they think they're the plucky underdog, even as the one seed. I mean, maybe just because historically that's been the case. For they've them. never made an NBA Finals. They, they've just kind of struggled with, you know, finding an opportunity to actually strike coming off of this whole series, uh, ultimately. But, like, at the same time, I just – I think they are so by far and away the best team out there. Like, I think they are the most talented across the board. They're well coached. They have the superstar. They are, if you are drawing up the chemical makeup of an NBA champion, the Nuggets are what you would want to draw your team up as. But, uh, you know, when you put them against a team like the Heat, because I really do think that is what the NBA Finals are ultimately going to be, uh, you get scared running into a plucky team like the Heat, a team that's going to grind away at you, a team that has another superstar in Jimmy Butler, and he's a different type of superstar than Jokic. You know, Jimmy Butler is a perennial scorer. He's a lockdown defender. Jokic is kind of your new era superstar in the NBA, encompassing a lot of those new era elements that have allowed guys like him to stand out and guys like Joel Embiid to stand out. I think a matchup between them is really intriguing. Why does Jimmy Butler not get the love he deserves? Because he's a character and he has, he has a coffee company. He had the experience in Philadelphia that didn't go well. He had the experience in Minnesota where he aggressively forced himself out. I, I understand why people hate on him, but I think his play has backed up that he deserves more respect. And especially in the postseason. Yeah. Aren't stars born in the playoffs? Allegedly what they say. Speaking of stars. Yeah, this was this is uh this is one we get to talk about, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one. Brooks Kepka becomes the first live tour member to win a PGA major, wins the PGA championship by two strokes this past weekend. Bryson DeChambeau, another live member, said, quote, afterwards, it validates everything we've said from the beginning, that we're competing at the highest level and we have the ability to win major championships. I really hope people can see the light now that we're trying to provide the game of golf with something new and fresh. I think at the end of the day, both sides are going to have to come together at some point. It's for the good of the game, end quote. Okay. Does Brooks Capco win, Mia? Actually validate Liv? Or is this all a bunch of wishful hullabaloo? from Bryson DeChambeau here. I'm shaking my head at the Bryson quote. 
Why are you shaking your head at it? Brooks would have never said that if Bryson had won. No, he wouldn't. And we all know that. Yeah. Because Bryson is just an extension of Greg Norman. They're just showmen. What's funny is you look at the rest of the lineup outside of Phil Mickelson on the live tour. And Ian Poulter's a character, but he's not, you know, Mr. Lip Service. And, oh, we're doing this for the good of the game. Harold Varner put it best. Listen, I think, I believe, and I don't want to misquote him, but he, he, I know for a fact he said this part of it. His parents didn't go to college. He has three kids. His kids are set for life. For some people, that's great that they don't, they have the luxury of they don't have to have that sort of money, but he wants that money to take care of his family. And is it a risk? Is it maybe unethical for some? Maybe, but the fact of the matter is he took the money. And so this whole grow the game notion as more and more live guys have admitted. No, I mean, Dustin Johnson said it on full swing, the Netflix series. He said, if you could work the same job you previously did for less hours and more money, wouldn't you do it? So with regards to Brooks Kepka, I think if anything, at least we've now gotten over the proverbial boogeyman. We've gotten over this hump of what's going to happen if a live. Right. Like I, I do my ad reads for my good friends at my bookie every day on 1010 XL. And you know, I, I, they always write in the script, the live villains versus the PGA tour heroes. And it's like, how much longer are we going to push that? Well, now it's over. We had Mark Carnival, uh, former PGA Tour golfer and uh, now part of PGA Tour Live. We had him on today, and he was up there at Oak Hill in Rochester. And he said from everybody he talked to on the tour side and the media side, you know, at least we've said, you know what? They're doing their thing. They made their decision. They are still members of the PGA of America. And he won fair and square. It's a great story for Brooks if you have seen Full Swing because this guy was as broken down and battered as it gets despite being a four-time major champion. His body was breaking down. So perhaps for him, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but playing less events has probably helped him find his game again and regain the form that he had because his body isn't taking the beating of week-in, week-out tournaments. And so, um, listen, was I rooting for Brooks down the stretch? No, but that's also like, even if he was part of the tour, I'd be like, meh, it's Brooks. I mean, there's no reason to necessarily have allegiances to organizations per se. I'm a PGA fan. I'm a live fan. I think that's all silly. Unless you're Rob Lowe and you have the NFL logo. Uh, I do like sure. that. I, if it, I think that's just all a little convoluted. There's some degree of merit in Bryson's point of collaboration between the tours. I don't think that would be a bad thing to have down the line, but there also has to be this understanding from the live players that this is an organization that took direct shots at the PGA. So there's going to be hesitance to collaborate from the PGA. And I mean, man, Phil Mickelson every single day is on Twitter taking shots at the PGA. So, and he's like the unofficial spokesman. for. Life. Wait, I got to pull up a tweet from Dan Rapport. It was, did you see this? Not he sure. asked. He asked. Uh, he asked Phil about why do you keep going after people online? You have to see this. Let me Let's find it. it. It was so great. I was just like, this is the ultimate Phil. Like, what are you like? Why are you? So he basically said to him, he was like, why are you going after people online? Here it is. He goes four hours ago. No, stop, stop. It's so hard to find tweets. Thank you, Elon. Anywho, the point is, is uh, basically he said to him, 
he was like, so why do you keep going after people? Here it is. You ready? Why do you continue to call people out online? Surely it'd be easier to just stay out of it. Why step into the mud? Phil, I know a lot of things that other people don't. I want to be sure that everyone is held accountable. Excuse me? Things that will come out soon. Uh Uh-huh. I've heard that in politics quite a bit over the last few years. Just wait for it. It's coming. The whistleblowers, they're there. They're coming out. No, I do think there's some notion to what's going to happen when the live tour fizzles out, but these stars are still the stars of the game. Are you going to welcome them back? Or are you going to put up a fight if you're Jay Monahan and the crew? No, they have to welcome them back in some capacity. And and listen, it's not the worst thing in the world for a guy like Brooks Kepka to win this thing because maybe it pushes some players on the PGA Tour to step up a little bit more too, especially when it matters on this stage. I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I just think the notion that one win in a major validates Liv is silly. Now, if Liv goes out there and wins every major the next three years, then we're having a different conversation all of a sudden. But I don't see that being the case. I think that it's contrived. And it's just a bunch of grown rich men arguing for the sake of arguing over things that they don't actually have a moral backbone on. I was happy for Brooks in that. Listen, I mean, he pissed away the Masters. He was there in the final pairing at Augusta. So it's not like this came out of the blue. He's been playing great golf and he's won live events. So, I mean, if he was still on the tour and he had won – a recent tournament on the tour of let's say he won up in um, Harbor town or, you know, one of those. And he, he's comes in second at the masters. And then he does what he did this past week in Rochester. You're probably all rooting for him. I cannot wait to see what happens around the time of us getting the U S open later this year. Mm-hmm. because what happens if a USGA member were to hypothetically win this whole damn thing, and then both the PGA and Liv are freaking out? <laughs> I'm I'm an agent of chaos. Yeah, I like a little bit of chaos. So do I. So maybe do I, maybe Jason Alba. Gore comes from the woodworks of 2005 and wins the USGA on behalf of the USGA, wins the US Open. I'm about it. Uh, but, you know. Who's to say, Mia? I enjoy some chaos, too, but there's peace in the kingdom in the Bronx, relatively speaking. Uh, Aaron Judge is back, which is a good thing. He also made a few headlines this week. Not a good thing. The Toronto Blue Jays announcing crew accused Judge of peering over at the Yankee dugout early last week during an at-bat, implying that he was stealing signs. Judge said he was just checking on his teammates after they were chirping following manager Aaron Boone getting ejected. Toronto since admitted they were likely tipping pitches as well. John, we are about a week removed from this. Was this foul play or a fair game? I, this image is pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. Like Judge is squared away at the pitcher, and his eyes are just lurking off to the side here. I thought Aaron Judge handled this situation so well, and he he sounded very Terrian in – how he addresses, you know, our guys are just chirping. I told them enough, like, we're done with this. We're moving on. I'm like, okay, that is, that is very Jeterian of you to suggest. Here's what probably shook down, Mia. The Yankees saw the Blue Jays were tipping pitches. They picked up on it, and he was looking to the dugout to see if any of them could relay something to him. 
tipping pitches and picking up on it is totally legal. There's nothing wrong with that. We used to live in an era of sign stealing, but guess what? We no longer do because 99% of Major League Baseball pitchers and catchers are using the new pitch comm system that was put into place this year where all you got to do, the catcher presses a button on their little wristlet and the pitcher is able to receive that command and they throw that ball. That's how it works right now. They're not stealing anything. This was them, in my opinion, picking up on tipping and they took advantage of it. And if we're going to outlaw that, What's the point of even playing baseball? Will Middlebrooks, former Red Sox player, now a analyst with Nesson, I thought did a tremendous job of breaking this down uh, in a series of tweets that I will now read Husband for you. Of Jenny Dell, by the way. Uh, you took the. You know what the funny part about that? This is why we're best friends because I said the same thing when I read this off online last week, and all three of my male co-hosts went, "Really? No way!" I didn't know. No one knew the face of the SEC on CBS. Uh, No more, but that's fine. Um, So Middlebrooks breaks this down and he says, notice how open Kirk, the catcher's right knee leg is when he gives signs. The first base coach can easily pick these signs. This is not cheating. This is part of the game. Either use pitch com or hide your signs better. This is based off of if Kirk is actually giving signs. It's hard to fully tell if that's the case. I see him put signs down, but it also looks like he touches the pitch com. If he's not giving signs, then this will be out the window. He then talks to some people within the Blue Jays organization. Toronto was using pitch com. Kirk was putting down dummy signs. So my theory of Kirk's signs being visible to the first base coach is off the table. So if those weren't the actual pitch signs, the pitcher, six ladders in a row and got one middle to hit. Weird. So also we're talking about Aaron judge here. This guy's one of the best players in the game. He's playing like an MVP again, him and Pete Alonso are carrying New York baseball right now. I, I mean, as the Lord on. intended. Sure. I, I, I mean, come on. Like if we're going to get on this guy and pretend that he's a cheater, when clearly the way that this guy plays the game is just different than most other players in the league. I think it's ridiculous. And if we're going to, be petty and we're going to take the human element completely out of the game of baseball why are we playing why are we playing my favorite was then the next night when they left one wide open on the middle of the pit on the middle of the of the plate and judge just crushes it off the outfield wall dead center uh coach campo tech of course dave campo for former dallas cowboys head coach now works down here as an analyst uh at my day job he texts me, he's a massive Yankees fan, good for personal friend of Aaron Boone, fun facts. And he was like, yeah, tell me that he stole the sign on that one, Mia. All right. That was a bad pitch, and he hit it. That's what baseball is. Listen, I understand it's easy to get down with the conspiracy theories after everything that happened with the Astros. It's understandable. And everyone get- wants to hate the Yankees. It's just more propaganda of you don't want the big bad wolf to once again regain its throne. It's fine. I'm totally against the notion of this being cheating more the human element. That's what I want to see in this game. This is a, a very human story. I'll tell you this. I'm going to tell oh, you. Oh yeah. I know you're all about this one. Baltimore Ravens signed Josh Johnson as a backup quarterback today. 37 year old will now be in his third stint with Baltimore and he has suited up for an NFL record 14 teams. Here's a fair question to ask. Is he the ultimate journeyman in sports history? Because there there is a legitimate argument to be made that he is. 
John Alba, let me ask you this. Do you know how many games Josh Johnson has started in his NFL career? He's played in 39 total. Correct. Do you know how many games he has started since 2009? Of those 39, I don't know how many he's started. Nine. That's crazy. He has played for 14 different teams, and he has started nine games in his NFL career over the past 14 seasons. That's wild. Interesting. I mean, it's kind of fun that he's able to just pop in there, figures out the playbook. Yeah. He's probably worked with so many different coaching staffs at this point. He's related to every coaching tree. So he just shows up and he's like, oh, okay. That's so, that's like so-and-so's. Okay. Got you. No problem. I mean, let's see. I'm, I'm going through the great journeyman right now. I mean, do you think he's, do you think he's like the, the most prolific journeyman that you've encountered in, in your time? As I a- mean, if it's not him, it's uh, what's his name? Chase Daniels. Um, it could be Mike Glennon. That's another one who's played for like every team under the sun. Although Josh Johnson obviously has this distinction of 14 teams, um, which leads everybody Uh, would love to see Orlovsky get his flowers, but he won't because he spent most of his career with one team. Listen, backup quarterback. Great job. If you can get it because little wear and tear big dollars and cents. By my count here, I'm, I'm... Also, don't forget, too, that Josh Johnson also played um, in the AAF and the XFL. He did. that. See, that adds that adds some merit to him. I think that's that's really uh, the big thing. So by my count, I'm, I've been doing the research here. I think this ties Josh Johnson for the most franchises played for, even though he's played for the Ravens before. The most franchises played for in the big four American sports ties him with Edwin Jackson, who played in the majors, of course, uh, for 14 teams as well in Major League Baseball. I feel like that guy pitched forever. So Edwin Jackson and Josh Johnson making the cases here. Uh, The NBA, Ish Smith played for 13 franchises. In the NHL, Mike Sillinger played for 12. So I think this is pretty impressive, Mia, to still be here at 37 years old. And honestly, the Ravens could have used a quality backup a couple times last year. Hey, now they have a pro bowler in Snoop Huntley. Don't you forget. I'm just just saying they could have used some of that quality backup unless you're throwing Pat Ricard under center, which honestly. No, I mean, but look at the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, they were almost had to put Christian McCaffrey into a game. And, of course, this Josh Johnson news comes on the heels of the new ruling by the NFL that if you have a third quarterback on your active roster, then he could be eligible on game day to play and not count against how many active players you can have on game day, how many dressed players, because obviously then you're taking away from someone else who could contribute in a different facet. But if your first two quarterbacks were to be injured, they could then enter the game. Um I like this rule, John, except I got to be honest. I I know, and even in some of the conversations I had down at the bank this morning at the stadium, like so many teams value, and this is, I mean, been the case forever, but especially now where base defense has all but been done away with and everything is nickel and dime and everyone and their mother wants a million safeties and corners on their roster because they can do a variety of things defensively. Um, you're taking away from one of those spots and a guy who can contribute for you on special teams if one of your 53 active players has to be a quarterback who you know is most likely never going to play all season. And so that's where I have questions. If you're like the 49ers, 
We knew Brock Purdy was nursing an injury to begin with in that NFC Championship game. Sure, then maybe it's a good idea. But how many teams are actually going to carry three quarterbacks on the active roster all year? We'll see if it ends up... uh... I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, I mean, there used to be a time I feel like back in like the late '90s, early 2000s, that was more commonplace. But well, now, now that they have the practice squad, though, yeah. you just store right. somebody there, and that's how you stash yeah. them. Yeah. But this one, you would not be able to activate someone on was Saturday, and that then... was pretty bad. What happened with the Niners? To be oh, fair. it was. I mean, it was a once in a. Honestly, like yeah. I feel like this is going to go the same way as the Saints with the pass interference. Like after a year or two, we're going to be like, really? Like, do we really need this? That's a fair point, Mia. Time for the beast of the week. Who was the most beastly or the most beastly thing you saw in the sports world this week, Mia? Well, mine's an obvious one. It's got to be Michael Block. The story outside of Brooks Kepka of the weekend, the PGA pro from California, who not only finished top 15 at the PGA Championship this weekend, his fifth showing at golf's second major of the year. But, John, he also had an ace, a hole-in-one on 15. And from talking to Boots on the ground, the loudest they've ever heard a golf course. Oh, and he did so well playing with Rory McIlroy by his side. He will be eligible to play in next year's PGA Championship in Valhalla. Better yet, and this is where my question for you begins, John. His son is currently in the qualifying phase for the U.S. Open. So my question is, if his son makes the U.S. Open... He's the one winning. And he's on the bag for him. Has the bit gone too far then? Have we taken what everyone says is a beautiful fairy tale story? Yeah, I'm into it. And now it's like you're leaning too much into this. Oh, rub it in. I'm into it. I'm into it. Definitely into that. It was a great story. It was a great story. I'm into it. Uh, but is it like overdone? Like we already talked oh. about Lynn Sanity on this show. No. I know some people compared it to Minshew it's Mania. Golf. golf will take any publicity that it can get. It will take any, as it should. I'm into this. Lean into it as much. You want to print the t-shirts? Go for it. You want to print koozies that I can drink my own a Palmer in? Sure. I'll buy one. I don't the care. Block party. Sure. Whatever. Right I'm into that. My beast of the week. Brittany Griner, she's back. Mm-hmm. Brittany is back. Last night, home return for the Phoenix Mercury. 27 points, 10 boards in 31 minutes. Got a huge ovation. Uh, it was a horrible story, everything that went down. But we're grateful to have her back. Brittany Griner is one of the most important athletes of her generation. And she has to be looked at upon as such. The WNBA has a lot of momentum right now. They did the exhibition game in Canada where they've got a chance to bring an expansion team there. They nailed that. The viewership among 18 to 49 is ranking around top five every single night. That's good. There's momentum for women's basketball in the United States right now. And I think Brittany Griner being back there on the court where she belongs is massively important. So Brittany Griner is my beast of the week. I actually want a second beast of the week since we're on the subject of the WNBA, still wasn't as good as Brianna Stewart. 45 points, 12 boards in her debut for the super team, the New York Liberty, the most of any player in their debut for a new team to start a season. Lots of Liberty win a championship before the Knicks or Nets. Hey, you know what? Wait, let's end with this. If the Dallas Stars go on to win the Stanley Cup, well, how many jokes do you anticipate coming out of pretty much everybody that the stars 
Dallas's hockey team mm. won a championship more recently than America's team that resides in Jerry. Uh, I'd be all about it. I'd be all about it. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this right before we went on air. The NFL declaring that the 2025 NFL draft will be on the field of Lambeau Field, which will be Ooh. a very interesting environment. That's unique. NFL draft. Yes, it will be on the field, on the turf. So be on the lookout for that. Something to keep an eye on. This has been Out of Bounds. We are off next week on this podcast, so we will see you in the beginning of May. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. Have a great week, everyone. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now 